Mover Nation, the day was upon us. Was it a good day for Alec Murdaugh in court or not? We're going to find out. <laughs> We're going to talk about it. We're going to go over the, uh, the hearing today with Judge Toll, go on some excerpts. This is, uh, I did a live earlier while it was going on. This is my independent cogent analysis. <laughs> After the fact, we're going to get into it. I'm Collier Landry. Hey, let's get into it. Testimony continued today in the most notorious criminal trial. In when I was 12 years old, my testimony sent my father to prison for murdering my mother. I decided at an early age that our trauma should not be what defines us. It's what we choose to do with it that does. I'm here to share my unique perspective on true crime, mental health, society, and popular culture, albeit with a slight sense of humor. I'm Collier Landry, and welcome to my show. Mover Nation, what's going on? How's everyone today? Thank you so much for showing up for the second live of the day. Uh, I am... I have taken this Murdaugh hearing that went on, this status hearing. Sorry, I'm fixing my hair. I quit, ran home from the gym, quickly did a quick little, if they called it a Navy shower, even though I never served in the Navy, but I'm told it's a naval shower when you do it in like under two minutes. And uh, here I am. I was exporting this, uh, this footage from earlier to try to get us some better audio level since they were really low during the, uh, during the actual hearing, but I think we might... Uh, think we might uh not have that going on so um yeah let's see here but as you guys know i've been following this whole <clears throat> this whole case for this whole becky hill debacle with the the book behind the doors of justice i've done a bunch of videos about it everybody seems to be weighing in on this today and, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a pundit, I've realized. So um, I'm here to offer my, um, my cogent analysis on what I think based on my own experience. And, uh, yeah. So good evening, Lynn Clow. Good evening, Tina Luffman. Hello, Rhiannon Rose. How is everyone doing? Where is everybody else at? I guess they're on more interesting lives. I, uh, I don't blame them. <laughs> Everybody's been talking about this all day. So, um, and my dog downstairs is going crazy. Oh, Marisol. So, uh, earlier today, there was this status hearing in the Murdoch case. And we are going to, the girls are in the house. Yes, they are. Yeah, I guess this is not going to uh, work for me, which is fabulous. Okay. So, I'm going to play we're gonna get into some certain parts because i had it running i was sort of offering some spot on just kind of as it was going analysis but i definitely have some more uh some more analysis going on um that i want to offer because i've had a chance to watch it over and think about it and it is um yeah it is a thing um I'm trying to call quiet my Alexa and I'm going to have to go quiet my dog. <laughs> it's always something, always something movers. Um, and, uh, wherever you may be and however you may be listening, thank you for making me a part of your day. Uh, I have, there are some new channel members that have just joined. I want to give some recommend recognition to, uh, our latest channel member that just joined is, 
Super Planner Girl. Welcome, Super Planner Girl, wherever you are. Uh, hi, Shago Guitarist. Uh, thank you so much, Tina Luffman, for the super sticker. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, yes, um, Super Planner Girl joined uh, today, I believe. So thank you so much to Super Planner Girl for joining. And thank you to Tina Luffman for your super sticker. So going to get into some of this uh, analysis really quick as soon as this file uploads. So um, Alec Murdoch was back in court today. Uh, this is the status hearing to determine what evidence is going to be allowed and what witnesses are going to be able to be called and what the judge who is justice, chief justice of the South Carolina Supreme Court or former chief justice, I should say, of the South Carolina Supreme Court, Justice Gene H. Toll. Come on, man. What is happening here? All the music has just decided to play. I turned this on for my dog during the day. <sighs> Anyways, um, I might have to go downstairs and shave. There we go. Great. Finally comes up. Lex is not that fast on the phone. But um, so first actual live you have caught. Uh, been loving your content. Thank you for telling your story with a slight sense of humor. It makes me want to do the same. Well, I'm happy to be uh, I'm happy to be an inspiration. Norwayne. Norain Wheels, thank you so much for uh, for joining and finally catching a live. That's great. Welcome, welcome. Um, so, so there's been a um, okay. So back to this hearing. You know, I tell people that I'm going to be live, and I say, "Hey, I'm going to be live." Oh boy, here we go. Wi-Fi. Technical difficulties. Hang on, guys. There we go. Volume now, right? It muted. Listen to the hearing today while driving through Walterboro. Strange. So strange. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Uh, I should be back with the audio right now. Let me know if that works, if that is working for you guys. Um, so all right. So today was an interesting day because I, I'll tell you, I have been very much on this whole Becky Hill thing. And, um, I was thinking for sure that this was most possibly probably going to be a slam dunk for him to at least have a good hearing, let alone a, get a retrial. Now I am, <clears throat> well, I am absolutely no fan of Alec Murdoch, uh, whatsoever. I do think that, um, in my own personal opinion, again, I am not a lawyer. I am not law enforcement. I am not a psychologist. I'm just a guy who's been through a lot of shit. But in my opinion, something has been, there's something that's rotten in Denmark. I always thought just the corruption was on the Murdoch side of things. But now after seeing and learning and watching 
checking out this wonderful book, which I've talked a lot about. I should get some commission for that for sales. If you can buy it, that is uh, still, which you're not supposed to be able to. I do think that something is a little wrong, but I'm going to get into that at the end of this live and give you guys my opinion. And we're going to check in and think, see what you guys think as well. So, um, let us pull this up. I'm going to go through selected parts here. And I'm pretty sure that the first part of this. Let's see. Okay, great. I like this right now. So uh, this is not going to have any audio for a while. This is all background, blah, blah, blah. And they uncuff Alec Murdoch. And now we finally have audio. I truly believe... So the book is called Behind the Doors of Justice, Jan. And it was written by Becky Hill, who was the Colleton County Clerk of Court, who was the Clerk of Court during the Murdoch trial. Now, I and a lot of <laughs> people think that... This is a that, hearing procedure in the matter of state against Richard Alexander Murdoch. So this is a status hearing to essentially... Um, to essentially decide like what what witnesses are going to be allowed, what the state is going to present, what the what the defense is going to present for this larger hearing about a potential retrial for Alec Murdoch for his murder convictions. Now he is currently serving two uh, two life sentences. I think they're serving concurrently. He's also serving like twenty seven years for the financial crimes which he pleaded guilty to and federal cases. He's got a lot. The guy's going to, whether or not you like Alec Murdoch, and I know that a lot of people, uh, he was convicted for the murder of his wife and son, uh, his wife, Maggie, his son, Paul, youngest son, Paul. His older son is caught in the middle of this buster. I've talked about him extensively. I feel like I have a very kindred, kindred spirit with him in a lot of ways because I know exactly what he's going through. It's a lot of confusion and just a lot of just, it's a mess and I wouldn't wish it upon anybody. But, um, this hearing today was to, was to establish like what witnesses, who's going to call what, and what the judge is going to allow and not allow in the hearing, which is coming up on January the 29th. So it'll be January. It's scheduled right now on the calendar for January 29th, 30th, and 31st. I will also be covering that as well and live. I'm in Los Angeles, so I'll be getting up very early. I think I think it starts at like 8.30, so I'll be 5.30 ready to rock here in on Pacific time. Something like that. Maybe it's nine thirty when they open up, but um, we'll just be uh, we'll be discussing all that. Done some thinking since your last live live for this. While a I dislike and b I think he's guilty and c I think a retrial is a waste of time. Agree it should happen if shady shenanigans occurred. I would agree with that, uh, Shago guitarist, because this is the justice system in the United States. It works for the worst of us, so it can work for the best of us. And if things like this can happen, then, you know, it can happen to us. You know what I mean? So I, um, I, I, have, a, I have a lot of thoughts on all of this. Over the weeks, I've talked about it. Uh, the, yes, the judge did smack Dick Harpootlian around a little bit. And uh, she was not suffering fools. So I don't know about anything where people would be paid off or any sort of shenanigans like that. I can't speak to anything. I am not familiar with South Carolina politics or how any of this works. But 
what we will get into is what went down in the courtroom today and what she's going to allow. And that's what I think is the most, the most interesting because, um, you know, I think a lot of people felt that like myself, that this judge, you know, Murdoch's side of the defense is arguing that, uh, is arguing that he, um, that because Becky Hill, wrote this book, had improper contract, uh, improper contact with the jurors uh, that they feel, and that somehow, you know, swayed, swayed the jury by her skills of persuasion, speaking to the forum in the bathroom, or the jury forum, uh, foreman, sorry, foreman, <laughs> in the bathroom, etc. that these things um, somehow tainted witnesses, I'm sorry, somehow tainted the jurors' um, uh, verdict in their minds. And there was one specific juror who was removed, the egg juror. There's a lot of speculation around this Facebook post that they believe that Becky Hill had promoted in an effort to get this person dismissed from the jury a day before the verdict was, was handed down. So, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of gray area and justice toll is here to sort of weigh in and say, this is what I think. I'm going to allow when I'm not going to allow the biggest blow I saw for the defense. And again, not a, not a lawyer, not a legal expert, not a psychologist, not a law enforcement, just be just a guy, guy who's been through a lot of shit. Um, my, where I thought she would allow certain things or, or would say, well, you know, because the defense is saying, Hey, look, um, it doesn't matter if the jurors and they cited a bunch of case law that the jurors um, were going to change their mind or not, that somehow her, their decision was persuaded by Becky Hill's behavior. They're saying that doesn't even matter because in prior case law, this has been allowed. So the judge addresses all of this directly, which is very interesting because there is this, it makes the defense's case much harder because she wants to show that there's, she wants them to prove that there was prejudice which means that the jurors, they want the jurors to get up there and say, I was going to vote not guilty until Becky Hill said X. Until I heard X. Until I was persuaded by her and her comments to change my verdict to guilty. And that's the crux of the case for the defense. I'm going to pull up... Um, I'm going to pull up uh, the defense motion that they filed so I can kind of read it along with you guys. And I read this the other day. And this is the uh, second supplemental pre-hearing brief. So the, uh, the defense had, had claimed, you know, they need to, and they're, they're going to go through this. All the potential witnesses during the evidentiary hearing, which was coming up, they cited a bunch of case law. They are looking, uh, with important caveat, at present, Mr. Murdoch plans to call the following witnesses in his case in chief during the evidentiary hearing. Juror 254, 630, juror 630, juror 741, juror 785, and Rhonda McLevin, who's the Barnwell County Clerk of Court, who is very close with Becky Hill, supposedly best friends. Additionally, they want to call Aubrey M. Hill, which is uh, Miss Hill's daughter, Creighton Waters, <laughs> who is the prosecutor for the trial, 
uh, Carly Jewell, uh, 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 another assistant uh, AG, uh, David Owen from SLED, and Rachel Joseph from SLED. Uh, and the state, they are saying, must call Miss Hill to deny the allegations that she tampered with the jury. Depending on Miss Hill's testimony, Mr. Murdoch might call some of the following witnesses as rebuttal witnesses. Laura Hayes, former deputy clerk of court in Colleton County, Jeffrey Hill, who is her son, who is currently being charged with one count of wiretapping, <laughs> and uh, Clifton Newman, who is a retired circuit court judge who was the one who presided over Murdoch's murder trial. Tim Stone, ex-husband of the Juror 785, and Timothy Stone, original, original poster of the Facebook uh, message presented to Judge Newman during the trial and included in the court's exhibit number four, which has to do with this egg juror that was removed, who I believe is Juror 630. Um, so they're going to get into this, and they're also going get, to get into, um, because uh, in, in this hearing present are uh, attorneys representing Pro bono, representing some of these jurors, I believe four of them. Uh, there is um, Eric Bland and his partner, um, Richter. So it's Richter and Bland, the law firm. And they have shown up requesting things like ha not having... Well, we're getting into that. We'll, we'll get into it. Let us go into... And I'm going to just kind of fast forward through this, guys. I'm also going to put myself in the bottom corner. There we go. Great. It's case numbers 2022GS150592 through 00595. Defendant Murr was indicted for the murder of his wife, Margaret Branstetter Murr, and his son, Paul Bennett Murr, and related weapons charges. His trial began on January the 23rd, 2023. The presiding judge was Clifton Newman. After six weeks of trial, give me a little backstory. So this is Justice Jean Puffer. The jury returned a verdict of guilty on all four indictments, on which the defendant was sentenced on March 2023 to two consecutive terms of life imprisonment. Notice of appeal. I was wrong. They are consecutive terms, not concurrent. Uh, attorneys on March the 9th, 2023, with the Sacramento Court of Appeals. The transcript in this very lengthy trial took several months to produce, even in draft form. Before the attorneys received the final transcript, on September the 5th, 2023, defendant filed with the Court of Appeals a motion to suspend his appeal and 10 degrees in Ohio. A motion for That's a terrible. new trial. With worth saying if he does worth saying uh, that if he does get a retrial I'm inclined to believe that the result will be the same outcome yes <clears throat> uh, I I think that <laughs> I think that that might be the case I don't want to make you guys sad it's 63 in St. Petersburg Florida but don't be mad at me says <laughs> Rhiannon Rose <laughs> uh well, it's 60, no, it's, what, what is the temperature here in Los Angeles? It is 61 degrees right now in Santa Monica. So you have us beat. Uh, okay. So. After further defense right. of this portion of the proceedings, 
But if any device rings or sounds to receive a call, or uh, I would. Okay. Uh, you raised a number, a number of legal issues from. Um, now, she's going to bring up. If you have not already, during the first break, be certain that all of you, the lawyers participating at council table, and any other lawyers that feel they may have some interest in the proceedings that would warrant comment by them, please give your cards or information about your contact to our um, court reporter, Ms. Harris. Uh, all right, so let's get into Dick Harputlian. This is Alec Murdoch's attorney, as we all know. Uh, I would. Okay. Uh, you raised a number, a number of legal issues from um, uh, whether we waived, I mean, a number, I, just, I forget the order in which you just took them, but Mr. Griffin is going to um, address those. <laughs> Rose, out, that's funny. Uh, based on what you uh, said just a moment ago, um, as to uh, the witnesses uh, and the jurors, uh, I will be handling that portion of the argument today. Very good. That is not me, by the way. Yes, thank you, Your Honor. Uh, the, the first issue that you've asked us to address is, is an evidentiary hearing necessary? And the answer to that question is very straightforward, is yes, under, um, under established case law and the Supreme Court, the Fourth Circuit, and the South Carolina Supreme Court under Reamer, a Reamer hearing is absolutely necessary where there has been credible evidence presented that there's been an uh, improper third-party contact with the jury um, prior to their deliberations that, that, frankly, whether it goes to the merits or not, a Reamer hearing is absolutely necessary. And, and, and we believe that the Court of Appeals decision in this case uh, contemplated a Reamer hearing uh, and in a Reamer hearing, evidence is presented as to, to what outside influences, if any, were brought to bear upon the jury. We have, in our motion for a new trial, uh, submitted affidavits of one deliberating juror, one alternate, and, excuse me, and, and, then a, and then another. So what he's talking about is the Reamer hearing, and this is in uh, Section C on page 15 of their... Of their um, of their supplemental um, of their pre uh, pre hearing brief that they submitted on the twelfth on Friday, right? Twelfth, yeah, twelfth <laughs> on Friday, um, discussing South Carolina case law provides the controlling legal standard as discussed above. The burden shifting described in Reamer is not relevant to this case because the alleged communications were by a court official to at least one deliberating juror and inarguably pertained to the merits of the case being tried. This is because South Carolina case law versus Cameron provides the legal standard, not Reamer. If Mr. Murdoch proves that the clerk of court engaged in surreptitious advocacy on the merits during trial, there is nothing for the state to rebut. A new trial is required. So that's what they are saying in section C of Hey Movers. Did you know that one in five Americans has learned a new language on their bucket list? If you're one of them, make 2024 the year you finally check it off with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Designed by over 150 language experts, Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are your passport to speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Real people, real conversations, 
That's the Babbel way. Babbel's tips and tools are not just lessons. They're companions in real-life situations. The approachable, accessible content is delivered through conversation-based teaching, ensuring you're ready to shine in the real world. Before Babbel, I couldn't imagine effortlessly ordering food, asking for directions, or chatting with local merchants, and all without consistently checking a language app while I'm on vacation. But Babbel makes it easy, providing the practical skills you need for real-life scenarios. Struggling with pronunciation? Babbel's got your back with speech recognition technology, helping you perfect your accent and sound like a native speaker in no time. Hola. Hola. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 50% off a one-time payment for a lifetime Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash collier. Get 50% off at babbel.com slash collier. Spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Collier. Rules and restrictions may apply. The fourth part of this document, to clarify your argument as to whether the defendant is entitled to a new trial, they're referring to this Reamer hearing, and she weighs in on this. Affidavit of a witness to an interview of an alternate. Yeah, she was very no-nonsense. statements are consistent, and, and in that they heard... Ms. Hill, the clerk of court, prior to deliberations, and frankly before the defense put on their case, Ms. Hill instructed, do not be fooled by the defense. That's what the sworn statements say. And secondly, before Mr. Murdoch took the stand, Ms. Hill advised one deliberating juror and two alternates, at least, watch his demeanor. Is that how we spell malarkey? No, uh, um, uh, Lynn Clow. Lynn Clow. Any thoughts on Alex fidgeting and movements during his this hearing? Um, oh yeah, for sure. First of all, uh, yeah, he's got to be extremely nervous. He's very fidgety, and um, you know, this is his. This is the man's life on the line, right? I would probably be fidgeting too. I fidget right now during these lives. I fidget and move things. I'm like, oh, uh, scratch this, that, and the other. I mean, we're watching his body language. I always, I always find it funny when people talk about watching other people's body language, especially in court courtroom situations, because um, they, uh, you know, oftentimes it's like, oh, we're putting this person under a microscope. So, uh, you know, are we really? You know, if we looked at everybody the same way, I'm sure we all do things that are, we all have tells and we all have this, but yeah, he's moving, he's rubbing his head a lot. He's, you know, I, I think as the hearing progresses and as we start to learn that, you know, because we see one of the things is we see as we go through this is we start like, this is really teeing up whether or not he's, he's probably going to get a retrial and it does not look, <laughs> it does not look good for Alec Murdoch. At the end of this, I don't think, but that's just my opinion, uh, whether he's they're actually going to go through. Because this is the same judge that's going to sit and listen to the court's arguments or to the arguments before the court. So it is, um, you know, I, and I don't know, uh, you know, a lot of people are saying withdrawals. I don't know if he's uh, on any substances or not. Those contacts happen. Um, and, and then, you know, we proceed from there as to, to what, what the burden of proof is after that. But... The threshold, are we entitled to evidentiary hearing? The law is crystal clear that we are. Thank you, sir. Mr. Waters? Now, Graydon Waters comes in. Thank you, Your Honor. May it please the court. Uh, Your Honor, obviously, uh, you've addressed the uh, issue of um, 
whether an evidentiary hearing is necessary. The state certainly understands that. It is incumbent upon us, though, based on no the death law, penalty. Uh, to preserve our arguments as to procedural bar, and those are twofold. Uh, or, uh, and the first one, of course, is that a motion for a new trial must be filed within 10 days of the verdict unless there's after-discovered evidence. And I think uh, an initial inquiry that needs to be determined is when the defense first learned of these particular allegations in conversations with the defense, and they said they're going to give me an answer, uh, that they may have uh, had conversations with Juror 785 prior to her being represented, which uh, was only a couple days after trial. So if that is the case and they were aware of these allegations, then we would want to argue to Your Honor and preserve the issue uh, that this is not after discovered evidence and that there's a procedural bar in that regard. Uh, secondly, we made the argument that the affidavits uh, on their face, the only deliberating juror um, indicated that 630 uh, in that affidavit only said that uh, she yeah, I would uh, agree. voted guilty. She had questions but voted guilty because she felt pressured by other jurors. And of course the law is crystal clear in multiple cases. Uh, that that sort of internal debate, it's actually in Rule 606B, that that's not any sort of misconduct or anything that is an appropriate uh, venue or mechanism in order to attack the verdict. Uh, so for that reason, we've argued that uh, their uh, showing in their motion for a new trial is insufficient uh, based on the case law for an evidentiary hearing uh, because there is uh, on its face no uh, sufficient allegation of prejudice. That being said, of course, we fully understand and expect the evidentiary hearing will go forward and we'll be happy to address burden of proof after the defense makes their arguments. So what they're arguing, so so the whole the whole crux of their argument and of of what Justice Toll is going to start talking about in a minute is is that you have to show prejudice that the jury that because of what Miss Hill do, did or what her actions were, because we're all they're all here because of her, essentially, because there's the jury tampering. Then they've used this uh, this book that she wrote. <laughs> I'm going to keep bringing this book up with all my little tabs um, that that because she did this, um, she uh, like, like that's why they're all here, right? And that she tampered with the jury, she abused her power, and and that's why they're even sitting in this courtroom. And what and the defense is saying it doesn't matter if if the jury juror was influenced or not. It's the fact that she did it in the first place that will that 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 there was a miscarriage of justice, and that Alec Murdoch did not get a fair trial. It doesn't matter if the juror actually says that that outcome affected their verdict right when they weighed in for the verdict and so that's where that's what prejudice is right it didn't there was no prejudice and that's what the that's what the state is arguing that that did not affect any of that uh her actions did not affect that and therefore that um it, it's a moot point and for a retrial but they're still going to go through the motions as he says they're happy to do it and then happy to offer the burden of proof but remember that it's a key point because this judge seems very caught up in prejudice and did this affect the verdict, which is just, which to me is, is it's a lot. It's, you know, and I don't, and I'm not here to, to, you know, um, again, I, I'm not an Alec Murdoch fan in the slightest, but I am a fan of everyone getting an equal opportunity for justice. Thank you so much. Cat loves cat skills. Well, we shall find out if that happens. Very good. Right. With respect to, uh, uh, well, Mr. Griffin, anything in reply? Yeah. 
Your Honor, it does not appear that the state you know, takes a position contrary that a Reamer hearing is, is required. They're arguing that we have sort of waived the right to that hearing. Now, there's no evidence of the record of that. I can assure the court we did not know of, of this information within 10 days after the trial. And, and we, when we learned of it, we promptly acted. Well, in conversations with uh, Mr. Harpooley and Mr. Griffin, uh, they were going to actually look into that and, and look at their paralegal's notes. So I, I no. fully uh, rely on and trust the defense to give me an, uh, a fair answer to that question. And then again, if there's an issue to be raised, we would raise that. Uh, we're not conceding anything. We just wanted to preserve our procedural issues. I do feel like it is kind of, you know, while this can easily turn into a circus for sure, I do like how, um, I do like how the, the lawyers, they all, they all do seem to have complete respect for one another, which is great. You want to, you, you want to have a formidable opponent in court. And I do think that that's, that there does seem to be, you know, they do seem to have at least in front of the cameras here, they seem to have a modicum of respect for one another and a sense of decorum, which, you know, in today's day and age is a stretch for a lot of people. So I do appreciate that a lot. Now we're here with Justice Tolson. go back and forth many times about this. I think I understand your position. But here is my position. And there's lawyer Lori. First of all, this is not, I am not conducting a rumor hearing. Sitting next rumor to Mr. McCullough. The gentleman in the white hair, if we go back, who is sitting next to lawyer. Oh, 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 geez. Did I just screw all this up? I hope not. Uh, lawyer Lori. All right. So that gentleman there is uh, Mr. McCullough, who represents other juries that are jurors that are a little more Murdoch friendly. Yeah, I think I completely messed this up. Sorry, guys. And things like that. And then there's external allegations of external influence and that sort of thing. And that's what we're uh, dealing with here today. And to uh, quote uh, State v. Groven Green, um, and in State v. Green, the Court of Appeals says that affected the verdict specifically on how, on what must be proved in a hearing of this nature and who bears the burden of that proof. All right. Uh, there is uh, on his face no uh, sufficient allegation. Okay, here we go. Sorry, guys. Said, of course, we fully understand and expect the evidentiary hearing will go forward and we'll be happy to address burden of proof. Backing it up to the evidentiary hearing that will go forward. Very good. With respect to, uh, uh, well, Mr. Griffin, anything in reply? Yeah. Your Honor, it does not appear that the state you know, uh, takes a position contrary that a Reamer hearing is, is required. They're, they're arguing that we have sort of waived the right to that hearing. Now, there's no evidence of the record of that. I can assure the court we did not know of, of this information within 10 days after the trial. And, and we, when we learned of it, we promptly acted. Well, in conversations with uh, Mr. Harpooley and Mr. Griffin, uh, they were going to actually look into that and, and look at their paralegal's notes. So I, I fully uh, rely on and trust the defense to give me an, uh, a fair answer to that question. And then again, if there's an issue to be raised, we would raise that. Uh, we're not conceding anything. We just wanted to preserve our procedural I, issues. I, I don't think we need to go back and forth many times about <laughs> this. I think I understand. And there's where she's no nonsense. Here's my position on the matter. First of all, this is not... I am not conducting a rumor hearing. Rumor 
is a 1954 decision of the United States Supreme Court that deals with the question of uh, influence uh, uh, of the jury and a motion for a new trial on the basis of after-discovered evidence of that influence. I rely on the psychological decision of our Supreme Court authored by Justice Kittredge, State versus Green, and the Green decision specifically says that Rimmer is not the guidance uh, that South Carolina trial judges should look to in conducting hearings on after-discovered evidence. Now that says nothing about what the burden of proof should be, uh, and I don't intend to say anything thereby. But I now. do intend to tell you right away that I will be relying on South Carolina's jurisprudence and uh, South Carolina's jurisprudence uh, specifically on, how, on what must be proved in a hearing of this nature and who bears the burden of that proof. And right. who bears right. burden of that proof? And that leads to the very next topic that we'll now take up, which is the burden of proof. Uh, Mr. Griffin? Yes, Your Honor. The, uh, as, as we cited in, in our uh, papers... So throwing out Remmer, the, uh, referring to Green... ...controlling case in this instance based on the scope of conduct as alleged, and, and that is conduct of a court official here at the clerk of court having... Communication with the jury Becky about Hill. the substance or the merits of the case that the, the standard to be applied is, is not green because green, Judge Kittler says, that the contact by the bailiff was about a procedural issue, not about the merits of the case. Here we're dealing specifically with the merits of the case and, and, the, and, and the Court of Appeals decision in State v. Cameron, we believe, is the controlling standard. Prison doesn't look like it's been unkind to Alec Murdaugh. That was decided in 1993. I mean, um, and, I mean, he looks terrible in my opinion, but prison sucks. The United States, which is a Fourth Circuit opinion, says in this case there was a private communication of the court official to members of the jury, an occurrence which cannot be tolerated if the sanctity of the jury system is to be maintained. When there has been such a communication, a new trial must be granted unless it clearly appears that the subject matter of the communication was harmless and could not have affected the verdict. Now, now we strongly believe that is the standard, is the question of was the subject matter of the communication harmless and that it could not have affected the verdict. And, and we are, that's our position on the standard. Your Honor, if, um, um, if, if, if Your Honor looks to a different standard, we, we, we believe that State v. Green, the measure of State v. Green, you, you can't look just at Justice Kittredge's opinion. You have to look because he complimented the Court of Appeals decision. And the Court of Appeals decision absolutely applied the Reamer um, standard of uh, the burden of, of production is on the defendant. But when the defendant produces evidence of a substantive communication to the jury by any third party, that's, that's what rumor is by any third party, that, that then there's a presumption of bias. 
and that the state then has to, to overcome that presumption, produce strong, clear and convincing evidence that, that it was harmless. Now, the crux of the Green case right here, uh, the Fourth Cir Circuit explains with respect to the presumption of prejudice, we have recently observed that there is a split among the circuits the circuits regarding whether the Reamer presumption has survived intact following the Supreme Court's decision in Smith versus Phillips. Uh, and therefore, it controls our approach to the Sixth Amendment issue, which Green raises. So the Sixth Amendment is the right to a fair and speedy trial. No, hold on. No, uh, no, sorry. That's the Fourth Amendment. I, I went to, I did, I took government. Um, but that's what they're referring to is this green case going back and forth between the Remmer or Reamer decision. Remmer, Reamer. He says it Reamer. They say Remmer. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> the scope and currency of. Uh, no, no, hold on. So this is what was raised in Section C of their of their pretrial pre-hearing brief that the defense prepared. And 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 that was the standard that the court of appeals applied to state of green. Um, and in State v. Green, the Court of Appeals says that this is the standard of the Fourth Circuit, and we follow the Fourth Circuit law in this area. Now, Justice Kicker says that the communication by the bailiff, which essentially said, if, if you're deadlocked, which they never were and never became deadlocked, then the judge would ask, may ask you to stay locked. I, mean, I was right, by the way. It is the Sixth Amendment that that, that gives you the right to a, a fair and speedy trial. I knew I was. I, I knew I wasn't going to mess that one up. That was a communication by the bailiff and Green and Justice Kitcher said that did not go to the merits of the case. Justice Kitcher didn't throw out the Reamer um, presumption standard in State v. Green. Yard. Who knows? He could and be. A, he could be on all kinds of. He could be on psychiatric drugs. I mean, being in prison is awful, horrible. And he was a drug addict for a very long time. And again, yes, you can make, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, not that I have any experience in this, but you can make, uh, you, you know, drugs. There are drugs in prisons for sure. How they get in there is beyond me because everyone that goes into a prison gets searched thoroughly. <laughs> so um, getting, bringing drugs into a prison is not an easy feat, but they manage to get them in somehow. Who knows how that occurs? <laughs> The Court of Appeals decision looking to the Fourth Circuit because, as Your Honor knows, this case, and, and I would encourage the court to look at the Holmes decision of the Fourth Circuit, which we cite, which applies Reamer. It applied Reamer in a habeas corpus case when they said Reamer is the clearly established law in the Fourth Circuit. And it vacated a death penalty conviction out of North Carolina because the North Carolina courts did not follow Reamer. And, and so the Court of Appeals decision in Green says we look to Reamer. Justice Kittry says. Uh, I would agree with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one thing you have to understand, too, is that he's a lawyer, right? So my father's in prison for murdering my mother, as you guys know, because you watch the show, right? So one of the things is that my father, who is incarcerated, would found if found I don't know if it's easy found a way to to make a life by offering, you know, somebody me medical advice, you know, other inmates, uh, prison guards, etc. 
somebody with an education in a prison, like a lawyer, I'm sure he has a lot, has made, I'm sure he has a lot of enemies, but I'm sure he also has made a lot of friends because he can use that as currency because he could read through people who are trying to appeal their convictions, let's say, and go through and offer his services in trade for food, drugs, <laughs> money, what have you, favors in the cafeteria, you know, uh, better, cleaner linens, you know, a television. He can barter his services in prison. He's a valuable inmate to not only the administration in the prison, but to also the other inmates because many inmates that are incarcerated are all fighting cases or have active cases open or are facing more cases uh, that they are being charged with on top of the crime that they're already incarcerated for. So he's a very valuable asset. So while he's, um, while he might be, while he might be, uh, you know, while prison is horrible, I'm sure he has found a way to make it work for him uh, in a way that he can survive. Um, and that was just in my own experience in dealing with my father that's what I found out that that you you use the tools that you can just like in any situation for your for your own personal survival and betterment while you're incarcerated. Um, it still sucks. You're incarcerated. Didn't go to the merits. What we have in this case, and what we have, you know, presented through proffer on the affidavits, something that goes to the heart of the merits. It's the defense. And it's the credibility of the defendant's testimony. And so we, we do have the burden of production, but we do believe that, that the standard in Cameron is we just have to show that the subject matter of the communication, uh, that, that it was material to the case, and that then the burden shifts to the defendant to prove that it was harmless. Excuse me, the burden shifts to the state to prove it was harmless. Thank that, you, sir. That's what we believe the standard is. And that's what they believe. So essentially what he's saying is that they, that all they have to do is prove, is, is prove that she communicated with the jurors or the foreman or whoever, and that's all they need. Not that she actually influenced any decisions and that, that, the, bur that the burden of proof is therefore on the state. And now Justice Toll is going to weigh in on this. Uh, Your Honor, um, after Creighton you, and I'm going to walk through some of the cases in, in South Carolina to, that address this, this issue. But as Your Honor is aware, of course, when we deal with these issues, we have two types. We have internal misconduct, and our courts have been uh, reluctant, Rule 606 says this as well, to, uh, to delve into that unless there are concerns of fundamental fairness like racism and things like that. And then there's external allegations of external influence and that sort of thing. And that's what we're uh, dealing with here today. And to uh, quote uh, State v. Grovenstein, which is a 1999 case of the uh, State Supreme Court, uh, it cites Aldrin and Kelly and says, we have consistently held the defendant must prove prejudice in these sorts of claims. And if we walk through uh, all of the case law, uh, our court has been very careful and, and as much said so in Aldrin, which was a, an internal case, uh, to sync the analysis uh, and, the, and the standards between those two and have been consistently held that uh, the defendant has to show prejudice. It's their burden to do so. Uh, in Blake in 1992, uh, the court held, uh, don't presume prejudice. And the, the test, of course, was whether or not the verdict was solely the private product of honest deliberation or whether it was the product of outside influence. Uh, we go over to uh, State v. Kelly. Uh, of course, of course uh, Your Honor uh, uh, concurred with uh, Chief Justice Finney's dissent in that case, but in that case there was a pamphlet in the grand jury room. Clearly an external influence was alleged there. 
And ultimately in that case, the court held that the defendant failed to show prejudice from that particular external influence. In State v. Grobenstein, in this instance, it was clearly external. There was an alternate who was present in the jury room and even took a preliminary vote with the jurors. So clearly an external influence, far more than is even alleged in this case. That juror was removed, curative instruction was given, but ultimately the court was very clear that we have consistently held the defendant must prove prejudice. Again, the burden being on the defendant. In Bryant, this was a capital case. Must prove prejudice. That's the key. And in that instance, there was a police investigation, background investigation into death qualified jurors in a capital case. Clearly external. The trial court conducted an inquiry with questions submitted by the parties as well. And ultimately noted that it was the defendant's burden to prove actual bias on the part of the jury. In State v. Pittman, another case that I argued before your honor. In that particular case, there was a juror who had a conversation with his wife and with the bartender. And then again, you know, honestly, as you say, honestly, who else could be the killer but Alec Murdaugh? And that I think is the most interesting thing is in this case, there still has yet to be someone who has come from the defense and said, this is an alternate. This is a this is a lead that was not pursued by the prosecution or by law enforcement. This is our theory of what happened. No one has come forward with that, which I think is despite all of this legal maneuvering. It's interesting that no one is ever off. They've never offered up an alternative, even in the trial. As far as I know, unless you guys will tell me in the comments below, of course, as you will, as you often do. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But as far as I know, there was there was no other alternative suspect or anything offered by the defense. Still does not matter, though, if he did not get a fair trial, it does not matter. The thing is, is that, you know, again, this is a horrible human being who was admitted to doing terrible things, who has been convicted of the murder of his wife and his son. Horrific, horrific, horrific stuff. But yeah, it's it is. Thank you so much for the super sticker. Wishful makeup. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Gen X granny. Yeah, I would agree, David, that he wouldn't have three lawyers there. Let me let this play, though. The court held that the defendant failed to beat the burden of prejudice because the wife's comment was the defendant was not guilty. And the comment to the bartender took place after deliberations had begun. And then, of course, in green in 2020, your honor, just a comment on that. And the court clearly held that the rumor presumption of prejudice doesn't apply here. And then, of course, went on to to note that the defendant bears the burden of proving prejudice. And Cameron is a case that they rely on a lot. And I would say this about Cameron, that Cameron, of course, goes on to say that the mere fact of any official communication does not necessarily mean that the jury was prejudiced and went on again to do a prejudice analysis and a harmless error analysis. Covington is the court of appeals case from 2000. In this particular case, there were jurors who supposedly knew the defendant and knew some external information about whether or not he had had previous difficulties with his wife and that sort of thing. Clearly external information. And again, the court held that the defendant failed to show prejudice. So the case law in South Carolina, both from our state Supreme Court as well as our state court of appeals, it's clear, it's in sync, it's uniform. That is the defendant's burden to show prejudice. And that's, of course, only after there's a determination that any sort of extraneous influence occurred. And 
that would be the state's position that it is the defendant's burden. Uh, and again, we can uh, address uh, at the appropriate time what the state's position is as to the order in which the evidentiary hearing should go. Thank you, sir. Mr. Griffin, do you reply? Yes, Your Honor. There is a tremendous difference in the law as to how the court analyzes juror misconduct, as in Kelly, where the juror reaches out to her pastor, gets a pamphlet, brings it into the jury room, and, and that was found during the course of the trial. The trial judge removed juror O, who had gotten the pamphlet, boarded every, every juror to ask what effect that had and if they could put that out of the mind and then deliver it. Interesting about Becky trial, Hill. It was juror misconduct. All the other cases that he, he cited and they stayed relied upon are juror misconduct cases. Oh, that's not, interesting. Not unauthorized third-party communication that goes to the heart of the Sixth Amendment, right by a defendant to confront his accuser, to, to cross-examine witnesses who present evidence. And, and it, when a third party makes an improper contact with the deliberating jury before they deliberate, that falls at the heart of the Sixth Amendment, which is a different, different animal altogether than, than where a, a juror engaged in misconduct. And that's where you get to Cameron, that's where you get to um, Green, which, which Green says it was a procedural uh, communication. Not, not the jurors already gave testimony and, and that anything that they were that anything that they were not influenced. In other words, he had written on his face, "I did it." Mike Skidmore, uh, but I watched um, the timeline of that, and he only could have driven within a 20 mile or hour. A 20 mile or so radius of his dad's house in the timeline. Just weird posing of Maggie's pajamas stood out because they had been on, they had to have been Alex then driving to see his mother. Yeah, so I don't know a lot about the trial because I didn't watch until the, the last day. <laughs> I was late to the party on the Alec Murdoch situation. Questioning the jurors' relatives and friends and trying to get their belief as to whether they believe in the death penalty. Apparently, that's some of that kind of leaked back to one juror, or maybe, but but there's there was no record saying the jurors were prejudiced by that, but the court said that behavior cannot stand, and we find prejudice based on the conduct, not on the juror's testimony, and, and they didn't use the word presumption, but they found prejudice, and, and I don't want to get caught up in this issue of, of do we have to establish prejudice? I think prejudice is established. Yes. Yes, Kim Weems, he, he is still, he will still be in prison. He will still be in prison um, be, for at least 27 years, even if this verdict or this case gets thrown out or he gets a retrial and he's somehow found not guilty. He's still in prison and there's still other pending charges against him. So he's screwed either way, but um, which makes this all very interesting. Merits of the case, the law is crystal clear that there is a presumption of prejudice State has the burden of proving as harmless beyond a doubt. Thank you, sir. That's another weird, interesting parallel. Another weird, interesting parallel. This blue tarp. So, in my father's uh, case, my mother was found in a blue tarp, which is kind of weird. Um, a blue tarp that he purchased with me months before he took uh before he murdered my mother so that's interesting uh there's a lot of parallels in his case in my own. 
and my uh, my father's case. Very interesting. Guns are probably buried deep in the swamp mud. Uh, some rando. Oh, what a tangle web we weave. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I'm not going to go back and forth a million times, but if you want... Yes, Debbie Richmond. comment an additional five. Very short, Your Honor. He said that uh, these were not external influence cases, and every one of them that I listed was, uh, Your Honor. Blake was a... Oh, uh, it's okay, you uh, cloud. Kelly was a pamphlet. Again, it was an external piece of information coming in. Uh, Grovenstein, it was an alternate. Again, uh, that's an external influence. Bryant was a police investigation. Uh, Pittman was a bartender and a wife's comment. Green was a bailiff. Uh, and so, and, and now she's going to weigh in. Evidence that was not uh, admitted at trial that the jurors were aware of. So clearly, all of those were external influence cases, Your Honor. All right. Now she's going to weigh in on all of this because they want to call the alternate jurors too, and she's going to put the kibosh on I that. I do not regard State versus Cameron as the guidance that needs. Thank you, Debbie to be Richmond. By me in making a determination about this case. Uh, it's a court of appeals case. Uh, since that case in 1993, there several cases, David. including Green, Oliver, and others, that very specifically talk about this issue of what the burden is. That's right, Chad Daybell's attorney's left. On the basis of after-discovered evidence uh, that involves uh, tampering or alleged tampering with the jury. Uh, all those cases say that prejudice must be proved, not presumed. Uh, and it may very well be uh, that that is what's going to be shown. Uh, but for purposes of what the uh, the defendant must show as the case goes forward to the evidentiary hearing. This is the key right here. Presumption simply by the contact, uh, which we don't have any sworn evidence about except in the uh, area of one juror at this time. A presumption is not the way to uh, examine this issue but rather specific evidence about what was said, when it was said, and how it was perceived by the juror. Is what how I it was perceived by the juror. Uh, by State versus Green and other cases. And therefore, that is the approach I will take. And that is All the right, approach she will take, <laughs> which is it needs to show prejudice. It needs to show prejudice. That's what she's saying, because they are trying um, – they're trying, um, uh, uh, sorry, text message just came in. Um, they are trying to say that they don't have to prove that it, there was any prejudice. And she's saying, no, <laughs> putting the kibosh on this straight away before they even get into these hearings. She's laying all the ground rules as a judge should. She is not suffering fools. And yes, it is stressing him out. I would agree 100% area of inquiry uh, is the procedural uh, argument of the state that this matter was untimely made. Uh, Mr. Waters? 
Uh, yes, ma'am, Your Honor. And again, we uh, we have uh, raised the issue um, as I, I talked about earlier that we believe that there is at least an inquiry as to a procedural bar that if the defense was aware of these allegations during the ten days, then it is not after discovered evidence and the motion is untimely. Uh, and additionally, we also, as I previously expressed, have raised the issue that the affidavits on their face are insufficient to put in play an evidentiary hearing. And there are multiple cases uh, that have, um, in the state, that have held, I think uh, Yarborough is one of those that have held uh, that where those, that showing was not made, that the trial court properly denied an evidentiary hearing. So we would just preserve those issues, understanding uh, uh, the court's the plan or procedure that you previously expressed. There you go. All right. Mr. Griffin or Mr. Harpootlin, uh, let me say that uh, I, I will say to uh, the defense, I mean to the state, I believe that issue needs further exploration, so I am not uh, prepared to rule that this matter is untimely in the least. We're going to have a uh, hearing on this matter at which time this issue will be further explored. Uh, so the state has preserved its position but you need not uh, argue about that matter uh, at this time. Thank you, Your Honor. All right. And now the matter that to me is the heart and soul of what we're doing today is... This is where she's going to weigh in. ...the exhibits and the procedure needed with respect to the witnesses. And the witnesses, at least, are the jurors and the clerk of court, Ms. Hill. All right. What I'd like each side to explore with me is how those witnesses should be presented, who should present them, and how they should be questioned, and whether there are any brackets or limitations that should be imposed on what these witnesses are asked. And I will begin with the jurors, which is really the heart and soul of the matter. Other um, uh, witnesses are very secondary to the first issue, which is the jurors themselves. Uh, Mr. Harputlian, you are the moving party, and you may proceed. Your Honor, we agree all 12 jurors should testify. We, I think both sides agree, Your Honor, to the question of jurors. Um, the only question is, I mean, not only question, but the first question would be, uh, as Your Honor questions these jurors. Yes, and I think that's why Buster Murdoch that's why Buster Murdaugh is not here is not because of his father, but because it's, I think he's over this. And I think he's trying to extricate himself from as much of this as possible. Cause there's also a lot of danger too. And we're going to get into that a little bit later because she's going to weigh in uh, on these jurors and, and what is allowed in evidence, but we're going to listen to this a little bit more and then we're going to fast forward because they're going to take a break soon. Hi, Sherry Falls, and and Sherry Falls, we welcome to the Patreon. New Patreon member, Sherry Falls.
Um, now, if your honor is going to be very restrictive in, in, in ask, did the court communicate something to you, and did it affect your decision? I, I guess that's um, what we're hearing, your honor, uh, when you're following State versus Green. Um, if you're going to say that, uh, ask those questions. Um, I mean, there's some of these jurors who indicated they heard the court say uh, what the, uh, the, 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 uh, the juror that gave the affidavit for us um, say, um, and I think they're going to say it didn't affect them, um, which is fine. If it affected that one juror, we believe that's enough. Um, and uh, that juror um, um, has obviously given an affidavit to us. The alternate, which was uh, excused, and the, we keep calling her the egg lady, but um, she was uh, also excused, the, the alternate because she wasn't needed, the, the egg lady because the, the judge found that she had had contact with people. I think Alec Murdoch is on a dating website, actually. <laughs> they further indicated that the court said what we say she said, um, and we believe uh, they should be examined. We'll be happy to do that, or the court can do that. Um, so there are witnesses, and then we have the court herself. I talked to her lawyer this morning who indicated she has not made a decision as to whether or not she would assert any constitutional right not to testify, and um, obviously that would be on a question-by-question basis. Maybe, I don't know, I mean, we're not ready to argue what the standard is on the Fifth Amendment this morning. Um, but if she does testify, um, there are literally thousands of emails we furnished last week by um, Oh yes, Lynn Clow. Collison County. Oh yes, Lynn. Some information furnished by SLED this morning and the Attorney General, which might be uh, utilized, I can't say right now what it would or wouldn't, depending on her answer, uh, to impeach, to contradict. Um, <laughs> and um, so it's, it's, I can't tell you what exhibits there would be or what we would do because I don't know what our answers are going to be. Um, we believe we should be able to examine her as a hostile witness. We, we should be able to call her as a witness um, because the burden is on us as your honors. Now, hostile witness just means that, that, uh, that they're not a witness for whoever is calling them. So a hostile witness is this other witness for the prosecution. So it's a hostile witness. It's not their witness is essentially what that means. Not that they're a hostile person, but, um, this is interesting to me. And basically judge Toll shuts this down and says, and says, I'm not going to let you just have at Becky Hill and just, and you're, you're not going to put her on, on trial here. You, she shuts a lot of this, what Dick Harpootlian wants to do down, um, which is very interesting as well. Now, and he sort of kind of backtracks a little bit. This, even if your honor determines that a piece of evidence or a question uh, is not admissible for your consideration, for purposes of the appellate record, we believe we ought to be able to make a proffer. Um, so it may be um, that your, your honor allows us to go forward and then in your decision decide it's not relevant, in your decision decide you didn't consider it uh, or whatever, but uh, you stop and go Elongate. Well, there are a lot of people that like uh, um, that admire you convicts. Hey, Gypsy Rose got married while she so, she was in prison. Uh, we think that her, the 
exhibits we would use to impeach her. Uh, we would attempt to keep it relevant to the specific issues in this case. I mean, her son has been indicted, for instance, her son has been indicted for, for uh, wiretapping. There seems to be some inference, at least what we read in the, in the papers, we don't have any specific knowledge that she was aware of that. And that I'm sure his estate could profit from his story. About her. That's not relevant. We're not going to ask her about it. Um, now, um, we're continuing to, do, to, to examine whether or not there Susan is Susan Smith, interesting. There, Uh, I don't know if he still has male and girlfriends, but he definitely did, yes. Many. Very weird. I met one of them. Very weird. From somebody, which was a photo, a screenshot of a, looks like a posting on some sort of Facebook page. Now he's talking about the egg juror. So um, he wants to he wants to offer a proffer. He wants to offer this these statements uh, as proffer, and um, uh, it's interesting because uh, you know, and she shuts all of this. She shuts all of this down uh, as it keeps going as it keeps going in because they are trying to. Um, they are trying to, you know, um, present this, this, you know, she was, she hated men, all, all this, all this conversations that had happened as proffer, presenting it in evidence into the court, into the record to show that, you know, because they don't have to put the witness on the witness stand. They can just be like, okay, this is what was said. And it's entered, whether it comes from a deposition or whether it comes from a statement or whether it comes from an interview from sled and they can offer it to the court. And she shuts all this down saying it does not matter because, I'm not going to accept that, that, which is what we're going to get into. To put those items into evidence for the appellate record at the time. Um, the, the last thing I would say is this. Uh, in terms of your honor questioning the jurors, we need instructions from you as to whether you want, if you finish with the juror, do you want us to submit questions to you? Do you want, I doubt you're going to let us question them. Um, how is that process going to work? And will that be done someplace? Uh, That's correct. Will it be done in this courtroom? Um, I don't know. Soon. We'll do it soon. Um, and if and yes, you're correct. Shago Guitars. Of this courtroom, will there be a way for the public to hear what they have to say? Thank you, of course, intelligence. So I'm going to fast forward here. And the, um, the uh, incursion into deliberations. Um, 
some point, we don't need to know that today, but at some point prior to you questioning the jurors, we'd like to you to enunciate what your position is on that. You're going to have to outline that a little bit more for me, what part of 606B you discussing. Well, it says. Oh, yes, the 606. 606B. Requiring the validity of a verdict or indictment, a juror may not testify as to any matter or statement occurring during the course of the jury's deliberations or to the effect of anything upon that or any other juror's mind as, or emotions as influence a juror to assent to or dissent from the verdict. So from their pre-hearing pre brief, this is section E, it says Mr. Murdoch will argue a preponderance of evidence that of the evidence shows Miss Hill made statements to at least one deliberating juror about the merits of the evidence presented at trial, which she was saying things like, don't believe him, uh, watch his body language. That's what these statements are from. And this rule 606 uh, so from the South Carolina um, R-E-S-C-R-E. -E, uh, this it says Miss Hill's denials should be should not be credited because of her many acts of fraud and dishonesty, which will be explored in detail during cross-examination. Demonstrate that she has a character for untruthfulness, <clears throat> CF rule 606B, which is what she's referring to. And uh, Toll shuts this down. All right, Sam, what are you saying that imports for this? Uh, well, uh, I mean, for instance, if we show you, we prove to you that the court said, do not be fooled. I would agree about the ad. I would agree about watch, the eggs. Watch uh, Murdoch's testimony, watch the body language, referring he was. Lie, he will be lying. Um, one of the issues is if, if the, the, the juror who sat during the deliberations who said that she that the court said that, did she discuss that with any other jurors? Did she infect the jury? Does this allow you to do that? Well, you certainly, if you go to 606B, uh, it gives you uh, some some guidance about that. It says, an inquiry into the validity of a verdict or indictment, a juror may not testify as to any matter or statement occurring during the course of the jury's deliberations or to the effect of anything upon that or any other juror's mind or emotions influencing the juror to assent or dissent from the verdict the juror or, or concerning the juror's mental processes, except a juror may testify on the question whether extraneous prejudicial information was improperly brought to the uh, jury's attention or whether any outside influence. We love the Mennonites. <laughs> was improperly brought <laughs> to the juror. Nor may, nor may a juror's affidavit or evidence of any statement by the juror concerning a matter about which juror would be precluded. Super Planner Girl, we gave you a shout out at the beginning of the uh, the live. Thank you for joining the uh, for joining our YouTube members uh, platform. To give us the guidance we need about the parameters of the questions. But but if again, if the juror that gave us the affidavit, would she be uh, asked? Did you discuss that during deliberations? Did she do that? But that. Uh, uh, apparently uh, is very questionable under the terms of 606 yes, and uh, I intend to abide by that. Uh, the way those questions have been asked in many cases I have Thank you so much, Super Planner Girl. to ask the juror uh, 
that's still their verdict. If they ask about it in proper context, and they talk about it in proper context, then the way to pursue, pursue it beyond that for the judge is to ask about the impact on the verdict, not on the deliberation themselves. But that may be a small slice of difference, but uh, and this is it. It's very important to understand that no one, not myself or anyone else, is going to be asking the jurors about the specifics of their deliberation. The rule is quite clear about that. Okay. And, and and is it clear that you will not be using the sled interviews or MOIs to attempt to impeach? Um, I, I, I told you when we brought, when that was brought to my attention in our uh, chamber's conference this morning, I haven't made my mind up about that. I don't know what's in those uh, summaries or anything else, and we're going to have to discuss that. But again, I'm the one to question at this point, Mr. Harcourt. Yes, yes. And I'm trying to perceive what you all are asking, and I'm going to go to the state now and see what their reaction is to what you said. Thank you, So. She just put the hammer down. She's basically like, I don't, and when he comes back to her and says, are you going to look at the videos of the sled interviews with these jurors um, and the and the, the sworn affidavits, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, she's basically like, well, I'm going to do whatever I, I'm going to look at whatever I want. I haven't made a decision on that yet. So they're trying to really pin her because again, they obviously want to get a retrial, <laughs> of course. And they want to play up this whole removal of the egg juror thing. And she's saying none of that matters. And again, all of this, the only thing that matters is did this affect the deliberation of the verdict? That's it. Did this sway the jury to vote a different way on the juror, the particular juror to use their term? Did this sway the jurors to make a, a different, to come to a different conclusion? in terms of whether they were going to say that Alec Murdoch was guilty or innocent and did it sway their decision? What we're going to get into later is what she's going to rule. And I've, I've got to get to get to it here pretty quickly, but, um, the, uh, I can't imagine being known as the egg lady in court records. So weird. very true. Uh, yes, the judge is a no nonsense type lady. The thing is, is that she, we, um, the thing is, is that it's going to, she's going to get into the, the main thing, which is, are they, are they going to use, or are they going to allow, are they going to let the witnesses come in and speak in open court, which uh, spoiler alert, they are, she wants them to come in, which proposes a really big conundrum. But let me, uh, let me keep this playing here. Waters. Thank you, Your Honor. May it please the court. Um, your Honor, again, we would uh, concur with what Your Honor just said about Rule 606 and, of course, all the cases that we've uh, talked about and the need to show prejudice. And obviously, when you're talking about external influence, that prejudice, which will be uh, an appropriate subject of inquiry to the jurors, is whether or not there was an impact on the verdict. And we, of course, have suggested to Your Honor, not only uh, based on the cases, uh, that uh, that should be judicially conducted uh, in a manner that protects the privacy of those jurors and it protects the privacy of their identities. Um, these jurors, uh, you know, were drafted into service, and, and this inquiry, uh, of course, has to happen, but it needs to be conducted in a manner uh, that respects their privacy and should be, uh, of course, judicially uh, conducted. Um, we have su suggested those, uh, those two questions. 
Uh, if we look at the Bryant case, uh, the Bryant case specifically talked about uh, the fact that uh, depending on how the examination goes, there could be questions uh, suggested by the parties. And obviously, I think uh, we would need to cross that bridge if and when that bridge needs to be crossed. And that starts with the, with the court's inquiry to those jurors. And only if something arises that needs further inquiry could that be addressed at that point. And that could be even a discussion from counsel with the court uh, as to what additional questions. I would agree, Jay. Um, you know, when the state first became aware of these allegations, agree. the first thing that we did was have SLED do an independent investigation, and the goal was good, bad, or ugly to get to the bottom of what, if anything, happened. And the result of that is why we're still here today. Uh, and that is, is that in speaking with the jurors that spoke to us, uh, that the balance of the evidence, as well as in talking to the clerk staff, uh, was that there was no impact on any verdict. There was nothing unprofessional or untoward that happened that had any effect on the verdict. And so when we did that inquiry, and that is what the jurors said, uh, that is why we're here today, and that's what this hearing is going to address. The only juror that we have is the one who filed the affidavit, that's 630, and even she, or that person only said uh, that uh, she, uh, you know, eventually voted guilty because she felt pressured by the other jurors, did not even mention uh, any external impact. And so unless she's going to change her story, that is what was in her affidavit. So uh, the balance of the evidence is the reason why we're here today and, and why this hearing needs to take place. Uh, Your Honor, um, as far as uh, inquiry to those jurors, again, there could be a need that the parties would suggest uh, questions, uh, and it could be, uh, depending on how things go, that the affidavits or maybe even uh, the recordings, all of which have been provided to the defense, the full recordings of those interviews of any potential witness in this case have been provided to the defense. It could be that issues could, could arise from either the state or the defense uh, as to impeachment. And we can address those issues as they arise under the appropriate rules, 608, 613, and the like, uh, dealing with uh, not only um, um, you know, prior inconsistent statements, but other evidence uh, that would be properly impeachable. Um, ultimately, uh, I do need to address uh, one thing as it, as it deals with all of this, and that is uh, uh, the uh, defense's contention that um, somehow the clerk is a, a party opponent in this particular case, and we believe that that is incorrect. Uh, obviously, there is a hearsay exception or a non-hearsay uh, determination in the uh, evidentiary rules, I believe, in 801 uh, that, that excludes statements of a party opponent. But just because the clerk is an elected official and of the state, that does not make them a party opponent in the way that term is defined. A party opponent is an active litigant before the case, and, uh, and that is, uh, I think, uh, different. So we would, we would certainly say that, that the hearsay rules would still be in effect as it relates to, uh, to Ms. Hill and any testimony that she may provide. Uh, I know there's been some discussion about the order in which the, uh, the witnesses may be called and whether or not Ms. Hill would be a hostile witness. And obviously that's under uh, Rule 611 uh, and I believe C, which will allow leading questions, uh, you know, if a person is hostile. Um, I think, uh, again, uh, at this point, I don't know that any showing necessarily has been made, but I understand the defense may raise that point and we may have some arguments at that time. Um, but I, I don't know that there's been such an identification uh, between uh, Ms. Hill and uh, the state that would allow, A, her to be identified as a party, I think that's far out of bounds, but also that uh, she would be uh, applicable uh, to allow defense leading questions under uh, 611C. Um, Your Honor, uh, in looking at uh, the type of examination that would need to happen here, um, and again, uh, the issue also was a, uh, arose of the Fifth Amendment, and I know that uh, the defense would like to brief that issue, and we're happy to respond. 
Uh, we don't know exactly how that might uh, arise in the course of any examination. We need to cross that bridge again when we get there. Uh, we would say, though, that the Fifth Amendment is question-specific, and so, again, it may be something that this court has to rule. No, the defense is not getting their way. Question by question. This does uh, not look good. Objection by the party. So it's kind of hard to say uh, that um, exactly what the blanket position would be until we, uh, we actually get to, uh, to that determination. Uh, ultimately, the defense referred to uh, some information provided this morning. Um, actually, both sides exchanged last night uh, their communications uh, with the clerk during the course of the trial. So both, of, both sides did that last night. Uh, and uh, there were a lot of communications with the defense as well. Um, and so, uh, again, um, you know, I just want to point that out in, in the, uh, that there's any sort of allegation uh, or, or insinuation that the state's not providing information. We've been uh, very diligent about providing any and all information uh, to the defense. And if any additional information arises, we will continue to do so. But uh, both sides exchanged that last night. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, there's been some reference uh, in their filings as to emails that were forwarded from the clerk uh, to me and to my paralegal, uh, and they've uh, actually even listed me on the, uh, on the witness list. Uh, and Your Honor, uh, you know, as we have had a chance to peruse the defense uh, communications with the clerk, uh, there was just as much uh, communication and offers of help. It was just a, a uniform across the board courteousness that's reflected from those. So uh, we think that that's a non-issue, uh, and we think uh, that that um, should not be something that arises during the course of this evidentiary uh, hearing, at least as it would require uh, communication from or testimony from attorneys. Um, Your Honor, ultimately, um, as we look at... Uh, yes, and I would agree. Yes, it looks like Dick Harputlian has a sunburn. Uh, yeah, he looks like he's about ready to explode. <clears throat> They all look like they're about ready to explode. And, you know, and Creighton Waters looks like he's just so over this. He just wants to shut all this down. But I think that this is just, um, I just, I don't know. A lot of this doesn't sit well with me. I'm not going to lie. That will need to be conducted. Uh, as the state has made clear, it starts with the jurors. And only if something arises in that inquiry, further inquiry to those jurors may be necessary. And that could be in discussion with the parties, as I've stated before. And then I know Your Honor has indicated uh, uh, the clerk should testify, and we certainly understand that. Um, the clerk uh, filed an affidavit denying uh, any of these allegations. And so, again, uh, as we address the clerk's testimony, uh, the state would have objection to some of the information I believe the defense would uh, propose to, um, to examine her on. We believe that an inquiry should be limited to what is appropriate and relevant impeachment, but not should be just a far-ranging uh, um, fishing expedition or full uh, Full inquiry into a lot of subjects that have come up since the trial that we believe uh, are not relevant to any point. So now let's just go a little bit further here to Mr. Herb Williams' response. Take the positions that I've outlined here today. You reply. Please, Court, Your Honor. Um, oh, I'm sure the red face is from his alcohol abuse, for sure. Rosacea. 404. One of the exceptions, the 404, I know to be surprising to Mr. Waters, is motive, as if he'd never heard that before. He told me this morning one of the assistants that worked for Ms. Hill during this trial was told by Ms. Hill during the trial that a guilty verdict would be good for sales of the book. <laughs> motive, selling books. 
So we believe we should be able to get into that. We should be able to ask Ms. Hill about it, if she denies it, to call that witness, that assistant, and have her testify that she was told that. I mean, why would a clerk do what we allege she did, we think is important for your honor, in terms of I agree. credibility and context? That's number one. Number two, I well, agree. Your Honor, I think we've all agreed. You're going to ask the questions, <laughs> whether we agree or not. Um, and we do agree with that. The question's going to become... <laughs> Golf course is the full bar in the cooler. How, if a juror says X and they've said in their interview Y, or if they've said to us Y, um, or didn't include it in their original affidavit, um, and you don't ask that question initially, how are you going to handle, or do you care, how we suggest to you a further question? Because as your honor seen this morning, uh, the back and forth can go on for a while, um, and we certainly don't want that to go on with a juror. So we're gonna need some guidance on that. You know, I'm not expecting that guidance this morning. But the last <laughs> thing is- um, oh, He's pandering we, to her, which is kind of funny. I need to understand a little bit about the logistics. Are we going to do it in this courtroom? Are we going to do it in another courtroom? Is the public going to be able to hear the responses? Will it be an audio feed if we do it somewhere else? Are you, not, are you going to have cameras turned off? Do it in this courtroom have cameras turned off? Uh, and we're so now she's going to weigh in on the cameras and on the courtroom and what's going to be allowed. On the Today Show, another one went on ABC. Um, they were all in the courtroom when the, the judge had them brought in. They were in the courtroom all except one of them, for the verdict. Cameras uh, were, were there then. Uh, again, uh, I'm sensitive to their anonymity, but I don't know that any of them have any real anonymity anymore. Uh, saying that, um, I think it's important not only for your honor to hear their answers, but for the public to hear their answers. Thanks. Thanks. Now, here's what I have to say about this. And this is something I feel really strongly about. So she's going to, so the judge is going to weigh, I'm going to spoil this for you. It's not going to get going soon, but um, we got about another 20 minutes. But one of the, the, one of the things that I find as someone who has testified in court, who has been to court, who has been in criminal court, um, is that it's very scary for people. And what this judge is going to weigh in on in a second is she's going to basically say that they are going to allow the courtroom. Uh, I believe it's court TV that does the courtroom stuff. They're not going to allow them to film the jurors. I mean, we can play this, but they're not going to allow them to film the jurors. But the jurors, they're not going to use videotaped evidence. They're not going to use statements. They're going to have them come into the court, which is open to the public. Now, I think, I believe as someone who's been through this, this is very, is potentially very, is very bad for the defense because this is open court in South Carolina and South Carolina likes to do things like this. Apparently this is obviously, you would hope that people who come into the courtroom are going to keep the anonymity of the people that are, because these jurors are now are labeled by numbers. They are not labeled by name. So there are there's many people who are represented by Bland and Richter, for example, four jurors who are who have anonymity. 
There are other jurors that are, that are represented by Mr. McCullough, who are Murdoch-friendly jurors, according to some people, who have anonymity. The thing is, is that if you go in and, and you know, you would think that, of course, there's a sense of decorum that the public would have as they go in. But this is a small community with ties to everyone down there in the low country. When you go into the courtroom and you are you are giving your statement, you might not be on the court TV cameras because they're not, she's not going to allow them to be filmed. And even Mr. Bland and, and Mr. Richter even suggest about altering altering their their appearance altering their voices so when they're heard over the dialogue nobody knows who they are but everyone in that courtroom you don't think these people are going to come out and talk i mean you hope they're not going to but of course they are and it's going to spread like wildfire in the small town community and if you think that there's going to be some juror that's going to come on there and say and it's going to be the 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 the, the linchpin in all of this the straw that breaks the camel's back and say i changed my verdict because of what Becky Hill says and this whole thing causes a retrial. I think their personal safety health, safety, the safety of their family, their 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 privacy it's gone. People are going to to say this person testified this and went against it and they're the reason why Alec Murdoch is getting a new trial and I would fear for my safety. And that to me is what goes against the defense. That plays the biggest part against the defense because not only are they not allowed to have jurors come in or jurors come in uh, who who were who were alternates or who had been kicked off like the egg juror who might have evidence that they think that they say proves that Becky proves beyond a reasonable doubt or or creates a burden of proof upon the prosecution that they uh, that the jury was tampered with and that this is this did alter people's verdicts, right? But now you have people who are coming in with the massive duress of the fact that they could be the ones that would be called out for possibly being the ones who who cause are the reason for a retrial of Alec Murdoch's murder conviction or and possibly being overturned, you don't think that they're going to face massive public excoriation and chastisation? Come on. Their lives are going to be, I would imagine, and that's going to put, you know, an immense amount of dress on them. And I think personally, really, you know, is a, is a massive blow to the defense because their anonymity is not being preserved and they are going in front of the court <clears throat> so they can be there's a lot of there's a lot of intimidation that could come down from the community at large. I wouldn't I, I wouldn't want to be the one who's like the whistleblower who says, no, this is what happened. I mean, yeah, we want to say we want to be virtuous and say that, oh, yeah, this is going to be great and all this. But really, the truth is, is that this is this could be a major problem for people, a major problem for people. And that's what the judge is going to rule. And I'm going to let it play. But I want to weigh in on that because I see that being a massive problem. I wish there was a way I could fast forward this easier. Come on. Jurors first as witnesses. I will be doing the questioning of the jurors, and I will notify the parties uh, pretty promptly uh, what I intend to ask the jurors. Uh, I guess I missed the part with the open court. Hold on here. Not to refer to jurors by their names. Um, 
even though three of these jurors went on the Today Show, another one went on ABC. Um, they were all in the courtroom when the, the judge had them brought in. They were in the courtroom, all except one of them, for the verdict. Cameras uh, were, were there then. Uh, again, uh, their answers. Thanks. Thank you. Oh, I'm so sorry, Lynn. Lynn, Lynn, you have to shovel snow. That's terrible. Stay safe. Stay safe. Yeah, I think this puts people's lives in danger and livelihoods in danger. All right. With respect to the jurors first as witnesses, I will be doing the questioning of the jurors and I will notify the parties uh, pretty promptly uh, what I intend to ask the jurors. The ambit of what I will be asking them is uh, informed by the question of whether improper contact was made with them and whether it affected their verdict. I understand that you, uh, uh, on the defense side, have views about what further should be asked the jurors on two levels. Uh, one, as a predicate to what you want to do with the clerk herself in examining her. Uh, and two, uh, as a means of further attacking the credibility of the clerk in her testimony. I have not seen any of the sled material or uh, uh, memoranda concerning the state's summary of these interviews and so forth. Uh, We'll be open to receiving that if it's done promptly because we've got a hearing. I agree. So, yes, we all know the social media. Uh, I mean, she just, they just spoke about the Facebook post and calling out the egg juror and how it appears that, that Becky Hill, in, in what everything we've seen, weaponized that to get someone off the jury. And now you have. Um, where people will be allowed in the courtroom, jurors will be seen, and yes, they could be bullied on so social media and online. It's crazy. Of every uh, piece of conduct uh, by the clerk alleged to have been improper on its own, uh, indicative of her or characteristics of personality or uh, anything of that nature. This is a very focused inquiry that deals with this jury and what impact uh, contact any had on this jury. So I am very mindful of the limited nature of it. As I say, I'm not excluding submission in advance of information that would take the questions beyond the limited questions I've initially indicated. 
but I will be very hesitant about any of those questions as it involves propounding those questions to the jury. As it involves questions to Ms. Hill, similarly, uh, this is not a time to explore every mistake or uh, uh, incorrect statement or false statement that ever has been made by this witness. I am the judge of the credibility of this witness for purposes of this new trial motion. I don't think it's necessary, nor do I think it's proper, to explore uh, each and every uh, uh, impropriety uh, alleged to have been committed by the clerk. At the same time, what specifically should be asked is something that uh, I will look at uh, as I look at the submissions that are made before the, next, before the hearing takes place uh, about what is requested to be allowed as topics for questioning of the clerk and what exhibits should be used. I can't imagine allowing thousands of emails to be made exhibits uh, in this process, either emails sent by her to uh, attorneys in the case, uh, to other court officials in the case, uh, or to other uh, individuals during the course of the trial of the case. Uh, I certainly will uh, try to preserve the appellate posture uh, of defense in this regard, but I will put certain uh, limitations on just a wholesale exploration of every uh, problematic piece of conduct, uh, ethical, uh, uh, dealings with the county, uh, and so forth. This is a very focused inquiry about this jury. Now I'm going to jump ahead. Ability to render the verdict if rendered in an impartial manner. And that's what it's about. Now I'm going to jump ahead to where Harpulian asks her. This is after the break. So Alec Murdoch goes back. Blah, blah, blah. They take quite a bit of a break. The other lawyers are called up uh, here. I believe before this happens, maybe not. Okay, so this is when, so Dick Harpoolian is asking for clarification of whether or not he's going to allow the alternate jurors to discuss, And then after that, we'll explore with the attorneys for the jurors uh, and the attorney for uh, Clark Hill uh, any other issues that still need to be developed. Mr. Hopkins, please support your honor. Um, I'm trying to make sure I understand your, what you've just ruled. Are you ruling that we cannot call the alternate juror or the so-called egg lady to corroborate what was said to the sitting juror since they were all told this at the same time? Yeah, the, the defense... I'm not sure I understand your question, but I am telling you that I want... The, these jurors, these alternates, would be called apparently to testify as to what the clerk said. Yes. At the present time, I see no necessity for them to be called uh, to say what the clerk said because we're talking about what the clerk said to the remaining jurors, uh, those who actually sat on the case. Uh, the corroboration is something I, I don't think I need at this time. I think I'm perfectly capable of, of evaluating what the jurors tell me. Uh, and uh, 
I will do that. I think I'm also perfectly capable of evaluating the credibility of uh, Ms. Hill uh, and the jurors for that matter. Well, well, Your Honor, for us to, and then you said you wouldn't allow a proffer of that except in writing. Now, yes, I, I don't, I'm not going to have a courtroom proffer of any kind. Uh, I'm going to, if you want to proffer uh, what would be offered by means of affidavits, copies of emails, anything else you want to, that's fine. But I am not going to have a courtroom proffer, no. I think you the only reason for the proffer would be to preserve your uh, right to appeal. I believe your right to appeal, my rulings will be perfect. Now, does he know a proffer is a mechanism to offer or present evidence at trial for immediate exception or acceptance or rejection by the judge? Just so you know, can be can be statements, uh, um, depositions. It's something that's offered into into the court to be put into the record of the court. So statements from witnesses, etc. It's just a time-saving thing instead of calling someone to the witness stand. Frankly, even if you didn't have a proffer, but even more so if you supply an in writing proffer. Well, I'm trying to determine whether an affidavit is sufficient for an appellate court, federal or state, um, when uh, the uh, state won't have an opportunity to examine that witness. Um, but, but, I mean, they've given, I mean, we can get more detailed affidavits. Um, and, um, <laughs> you know, they're, these people are witnesses to I would agree. what the court said to the juror who deliberated. I understand oh, how that funny. can't that be relevant great. to your Honor's decision. I understand there's two steps. One, did she make the statement? And two, He's was playing the man with himself. That's These funny. witnesses corroborate she made the statement. Well, of course, that's what you say. So far, I haven't seen any of that. Uh, if that's what you say and you offer it to me in some form that I can evaluate it, I may revisit that decision okay. at the present okay. time. Okay. I, but at the present time, I see nothing that uh, uh, prompts me to think I need to uh, have uh, people who did not sit on the case talk about what they think the clerk said to other people when I've got to direct people to whom it said that I will question. Well, Your Honor, we did submit an affidavit, but I have no problem with going back. You, you submitted one alternate affidavit right. and one uh, affidavit of a dismissed alternate. I'm aware of that. Right. So. And that doesn't prompt me to change what I've just said to you. All right. We can, we can get you more, more specific. I understand what the questions are you have, and I would only put those folks up to deal with. So the crux of the of the defense's motion for the retrial, like the main part of it, is that they're arguing that Betty Be, Betty Becky Hill had motive and active and also actively participated in removing jurors who didn't agree with her verdict, like the egg lady, like the egg lady juror, right? So that she manipulated things like putting a social media post up to get this person removed that didn't align with what she saw as a verdict. That's the crux of their argument, and basically. What the judge is saying is none of that is going to be allowed. None of these other affidavits from these other alternate jurors. It's only the people that actually sat on the jury. And they will be brought here in open court for everyone to see while they make their statements. That to me is just 
I mean, look, she's a judge, and these people would know way more than I do. I mean, I am not a lawyer. I am not a law enforcement. I'm not a psychologist. I'm just a guy who's been through a lot of shit. But let me tell you, this to me just seems really just... I mean, it's obviously... It, it's obviously not good for for the defense, right? Um, but to me, this just seems... I mean... The fact that a, that a, that a clerk of court... And I'm going to wrap this up. The fact that a clerk of court is going to is is able to to write a book, able to to seemingly abuse their power, and uh, and whether or not we like it, have some sort of influence over the jury. Whether she have, uh, um, whether she had any sort of um, uh, uh, you know direct contact with with alternating the jury the, the the jury's verdict or not there is so much that is up in the air and there's so much to left to be explained it just feels like to me that this situation and i do not like alec murdoch at all and he and he and i know that a lot of people are very much want to see him fry and 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 be in prison for the rest of his natural life which he already is going to be anyways <laughs> um he has other charges that are coming. I mean, the, the guy's screwed. But, you know, again, the system has to work for the worst of us so it works for the best of us. And to think that a clerk of court can come in and do all of these things and then this somehow does not penalize or does not merit a re This could happen to anyone is the point. This could happen to anyone. And that to me is the biggest problem, right? That to me is the biggest problem with all of this is that, is that you know, we see that she wrote the book. We, we have people who have, who've come forward. We we've seen all the media publicity that someone could be involved in this way in our legal system. I, I don't know. Uh, to me, it doesn't, it, you know, when you think about how our, um, our system in general or our, our societal mechanisms that are in place, social media, things of that, how that affects people, how that affects, um, our views it affects politics you know um you know how these things are shaping our future just allowing people up allowing people to um to have uh you know to come in and alter or or or, or do things that are you know that are just not kosher they're just not kosher uh, that, that to me it bothers me a lot and i don't you know I want to see everyone get a fair trial. I want to see everyone be able to, because again, if this happens to the worst of us, it could happen to the best of us. And um, I think that's it, but it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what you guys think. Let me know in the comments. You guys are just, um, you guys are, are letting me know right here. Uh, we, we will, you know, I'll be, I'll be keeping up on all of this. Uh, you know, I am, um, I am very, uh, I am very much uh, uh, looking forward to seeing what happens on the 29th and, uh, you know, what will be brought to light. It seems like today was a massive blow for the defense. Though. And I think leading up to all this, I think I think we can kind of see which way this judge is leaning, which is more than likely Alec Murdoch will probably not will probably lose his bid for a new trial or a retrial and they will have to go back to the appellate system and go to a higher court and redo their appeal and cite all these things. And this will be a never ending process like it is in the legal system. And, um, you know, this is all just, just, it's wacky to me, but, um, you know, I think it's wacky to everyone. 
<sighs> but oy vey. Um, again, this might be proven. It was a fair trial. Inappropriate. Inappropriate what Becky Hill or may or may not have done. But as long as it didn't affect the verdict. Yes, and absolutely. And again, but we want to see someone get a fair trial if that's the case. Um, but uh, it's uh, it, it's interesting. We'll see how it all plays out. But please let me know in the comments below. And do me a favor, guys. If you can, like. Please subscribe if you're enjoying my videos. Please share with your friends, family, everybody who's interested in this. I have a whole Murdaugh Murda playlist. Check it out. I will be live tomorrow on Surviving the Survivor at 5 p.m. Eastern time. And I will probably be streaming that to my channel as well. In fact, I will be. Um, so you can check it out there. Or you can check it out on my channel. And I'll probably do a live afterwards at some point. I don't know how long we're going to go. But, um, but we'll, we'll discuss all these things. Um, and again, thank you all so much. Mover Nation, thank you so much. I want to say a big shout out to all my channel members, all my channel subscribers, and all my Patreon patrons. Thank you all so much for your support. I greatly appreciate it. But if you could, please click that like button. It helps with the algorithm. I appreciate all of you showing up and being here and participating in the comments. This is a great little community we have done. And wherever you may be and however you may be watching or listening, thank you so much for making me a part of your day. Uh, Mover Nation, we get through another one. And uh, I greatly appreciate, appreciate all of you. Have a wonderful night, and I'll see you on the next one. This podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. For exclusive content around this podcast, please consider supporting me via Patreon by going to collierlandry.com forward slash support. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please leave us a five-star review. If you want to see video episodes of this podcast, please check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash collierlandry. You can find links to additional resources in the show notes of today's episode. This podcast is a production of Don't Touch My Radio. Copyright Collier Landry.